Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Sutton service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. So it is such an honour and such a uh, pleasure to be with you this morning. Um, Over the past couple of weeks, we have been looking at a series called The Inward Battle. Um, I'm going to try not to throw paper today because I normally throw paper um, and keep myself neat. And this battle has been, um, this sorry, this inward uh, journey has been um, a series that we've looked at the battles that we face and the choices that we make. The aim of the series is to really recognize and address the key battles that we face as humans and as, f- as followers of Jesus. And these are battles that we will likely experience at some point in our lives. They are strongholds, they are my- their mindsets um, that we might be living with, thought patterns, habits, behaviors, all of which that we want God to lift us from and free us from so that we can live life differently. Each week we are holding a light to each of these battles and exposing them and the damaging effects that they can have on our lives, both personally and communally. And we hope that as a result we will be equipped and we will have the perspective that we need to um, stand against the lies of the devil and the lies of the flesh and the lies of the world. There are things that we can't necessarily control in life, but they are definitely ways in which we can respond to them. And hopefully they will shape our hearts and we will become um, new in the process. It's never too late to form new habits and it's never too late to continue to build ourselves on the truth of God's word. So as an overview of the talks, um, Andy kicked us off with the talk on from cynicism to faith. And then Joe Wells talked about um, the price of our attention and she preached on from distraction to devotion. And then last week, Lars taught on from lies to truth. This week, I'll be shining the light on from sufficiency, from self-sufficiency to belonging. And we'll be reading from Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 32. So if you've got your Bibles, maybe appear on the screen, I'm not too sure. So Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 32, and it reads, it's a bit of a long one. And a certain, and and then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the, p- the portion of goods that, fo- uh, that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a, se- a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I will perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, your, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to him, But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet 
and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked what, things this, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving with you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time and you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, who has has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf to call a calf for him. And And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that I have is yours. It is right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So I just read from the New King James. I don't know if there was like a a better version there for you to read from, but you get the gist. So the story is, this story is arguably one of the most famous stories of old parables that Jesus has taught. And it's known amongst Christians and non-Christians. And it's the story of the prodigal son or what you might call the lost son. And basically it's about um, the love of a father towards a wayward child. A child who wanted what his father could give, but who didn't want the father. And, I've, and this story of the prodigal son is going to be used to shine this light on the battle of self-sufficiency to belonging. From a desire of wanting to be in control and independent to that of interdependence and surrender to God. Now, I don't know if it's because I grew up listening to... Next slide, please. Destiny's Child. My jam. Destiny's Child, love them. TLC, independent women. I don't know if it's because I was like listening to Destiny's Child or because I listened, because I'm a Nigerian woman. That idea of being an independent, strong woman, doing your own thing, making it by yourself, needing nobody else, was quite an attractive, like, you know, it was a, it was a thing. You had a little shoulder bop to yourself and, you know, you felt cool. But actually, Our culture always teaches that it's great to be independent and that is the ultimate goal. We live in this individualistic culture. We live in a society that's very individualistic. However, this idea of independence becomes a problem when it stands in our way of dependency on God and belonging to community, fellowship, the family of God and dependency on him. God desires for us to be in relationship with him and with others. So I have titled today's talk, A Far Country and a Lavish Heart. A Far Country and a Lavish Heart. Now, the far country, as you can imagine, is separation and isolation from God. The far country is self-sufficiency. On the other hand... The lavish heart part of today's title is representative of the love of God. The heart of the father who lavishly pours out his love on us, his unconditional love. Now, I believe that we've all made this journey or may still be on this journey from the far country back home to the father's heart. And my prayer today is that we realize that our relationship with God 
is not based on working for his approval, but on his unconditional love for us. At the beginning of Luke 15, we see there are two groups of people that are in the crowd with Jesus. It is noticed that the tax collectors and sinners are there. I call them the haters, but you know, you can call them tax collectors and sinners. And secondly, the Pharisees, sorry, and secondly, Pharisees and scribes, the the religious hoity-toity people. And the Pharisees and scribes begin to grumble. They're always, they have a lot of chat. Have you noticed when you read the Bible, Pharisees, scribes, all of them have a lot of chat about Jesus and what he's doing. And they, and they are saying that Jesus is hanging out with sinners and they have a problem with that. They don't like it. So Jesus responds as he does. He doesn't just, you know, talk normally. He decides to talk in parables or stories to illustrate his point. And in response to these two groups of people, he gives three different stories. Just before we read in verse um, 11, he gives the story of the parable of the lost coin. He gives a parable of the lost sheep in verses, sorry, the lost coin is in verse four to seven. The lost sheep is in verse eight to 10. And then he concludes with the parable of the lost son in verses 11 to 32, which we just read. And all three parables make one specific point. Lost people matter to God. God rejoices and celebrates when that which is lost is found and recovered. There is something about losing something and when you get it back. Jesus is in the business for looking for that which was lost, finding them and bringing them back home. Now, I don't know if any of you watch Long Lost Family, but this is a show designed to make people cry. That's, that's the ultimate, don't you think that's the ultimate goal of this show? It leaves me mash up. I'm like crying in tears, snotty. And the whole premise is that It reunites families. Members who were lost are recovered. Now, there are so many stories. But the one I just thought to highlight, the image that's coming up, is of a lady called Anne Munro. Anne Munro, she met her son after 41 years of being separated from him. I don't know if everyone can see Anne. And she had had to give him up for adoption. So Anne's daughter was actually the person who contacted the show, and her name's Donna, and she wanted to arrange the reconciliation after four decades of her mum and her son, Mark. At this time now, Anne was 63 years old, and she said, when I finally met my son, Mark, and held him, my shattered heart healed. Having him back in my life means more than winning the lottery a million times over. Now, his name is called Colin, Her son had forgiven him, his birth mother, for the difficult decision she made. Anne said, knowing he understands and forgives me for giving him up means I no longer spend every evening weeping and every night lying awake. I am the luckiest woman alive because my sad story has a happy ending. When we surrender our lives to God, our story, our sad story has a happy ending. It is with this current audience in mind, the haters, a.k.a., you know, the the Pharisees and scribes and the tax collectors and the sinners, that Jesus tells these three stories, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. Now, the Pharisees um, are a more complex character because they seem like they're doing the legit thing. They seem like they're right. They seem like they're righteous. They seem like they're living a good life, what they should be doing. But actually, they are self-righteous, and they lord their superiority over others. The sinners are quite obvious. 
They are sinners. They're apart from God. They're separated from God. But when we read the story of the prodigal son, I'd like you to ask yourself the question, what character am I? What part of the story do I fit into? Am I like the parable, am I like the prodigal son who recognizes that I'm a sinner? I recognize my brokenness. Or are you like the older son, the Pharisee, proud of my ability to be a good person and to follow the rules? Now, I've read and listened to the story of the prodigal son so many times, and I thought I knew it quite well. However, when I started preparing for this talk, I realized that I'd been paying too much attention to the wrong character. I'd always thought of the prodigal son as the main character, often criticizing for him, him for his sin and not being able to relate to him and his rebellious nature because at the end of the day, I was such a good child. And actually, but being a Nigerian, you, don't ha you have Nigerian parents, you don't have an option. You just have to be good. So... I just was like, this boy is mad. Why is he leaving? He's moving mad. He's moving mad. He's left his dad. He's gone off to do wild and rebellious things. Just be a good child, which is what I tell my children. Just be good. Now, I looked a little bit deeper. I had to do a bit of, you know, Holy Spirit examination. And I actually realized I'm the older son. I'm the one who feels like I'm always doing the right thing. I'm following the rules. I've got my head down. I'm good. But actually... I'm just as lost. I believe that really the heart of the father should be the main character. It's the father that is the main character. It is his extravagant and lavish love that is on full display in this story. As I said, I paid little attention to the elder character brother. I was like, mm, a bit dry, who's he? But then as I looked a bit deeper, his pride in following the rules and being a good person, I didn't think that could be a sin. But as I said, he was actually in the far country, but he just hadn't left home. I think it's important when reading the story that we don't compare the boys and think of them as like really in contrast to each other, unless we'll miss the point that I'm trying to highlight today. It's that both both sons were lost and both sons were prodigals. Both sons exhibited the, the self-sufficiency that we're talking about today. They were both in the far country. So let's take a look at the younger brother first. Now he clearly exhibits the character of the sinner, the rebellious brother who is blatantly distant from God. He is self-sufficient. He wants to go it alone. He wants to make a name for himself and he wants to be in control of his own future and his own destiny. Now, what should be understood here in the ancient world is that you didn't bring up the subject of inheritance. This was at the initiative of the father to bring up inheritance and at the blessing of the father nearing his death. So this son has the audacity to come to his dad and demand his share of the estate while his dad is still alive. Basically, what he's saying to his father is, Father, I wish you were dead. But in fact, I actually, you are dead to me, and I'm dead to you. I don't care about relationship with you. Whatever you're going to bless me with in future, bless me with now, 
and I will go and part my ways with you. Again, it's this part of the story that I know they couldn't have been Nigerians because the story would have played out very differently. They would have. This is a slap in the face to the father for what the son has asked. In verse 13, the son relocates to a pagan country, a distant and far country. It's complete rebellion to his father and what he believed in. He no longer has to submit to his father's authority. He no longer has to ask for any permission. He's not trying to abide by any curfew. He's his own man. He is not his father's son. It is in the far country that the prodigal son earns his title as prodigal. In his wasteful and extravagant nature that he squanders all his inheritance and is left destitute. Prodigal means wasteful and extravagant. A famine hits and all those friends, all those crew that were rolling with him when he had money and things were good, they leave him. That's another sermon because, you know, we've all experienced that when you're living life and you've got your first student loan and you're splashing out cash and then end of the week and student loan is run out. All those friends have suddenly disappeared, but you just bought them night trainers. Anyway, maybe that was my own life. Um, So I've now lost my place. So the prodigal son, he seeks employment in a pig pen. Now for a Jewish boy, that's just, it's low, it's low. It's low. It's like the lowest of low jobs. It's disgraceful. It's grim. And it's in the grimness of this job that he comes to his senses. And this is so relatable. It's in the grimness and in the darkness of our sin of being so far from God that we can often come to our senses. And he decides to return to his father. Interestingly, in verse 19, if you show the slide, the prodigal son starts rehearsing his speech. He's going over it. I can imagine him mulling over in the pig pen. Ah, oh, maybe I'll put intonation on this word. Maybe I'll, you know, say a bit sorry, like along out the sorry in this part. And he asks his father to make him a servant. So even at this point, the prodigal son is still self-sufficient. He thinks that relationship with God, the father, he has to be a slave. He thinks he keeps having to work for his father to accept him. So while he's on his way to God, he's still got the mindset of a servant as opposed to the mindset of a son. He is still self-sufficient. Now, does that sound familiar to you? This is a trap that all of us can fall into. We think that we have to come to church or connect group or pray or do Bible study or give in order for us to be accepted, in order for us to be loved. There is still work here for the prodigal son to overcome in terms of receiving sonship and the father's love. And as I've said, the far country represents self-sufficiency, a place when we are far from God where we want to be in control of our lives and independent of God's authority. We want to be our own gods. We take credit for our own life and feel that and and have forgotten how much God loves us and how he wants to make us sons and not servants. How many of us really know deep down, like deep, deep in your innermost being, that God loves us without doing any of the Christian stuff? The love of God is our core human need. 
And so many of us don't even realise it. God sees us and he loves us. And it reminds me of a quote by Bill Timaeus. He's an award-winning journalist. And the quote reads, if we just show up the quote. Let me move out the way. Should I go this way? I don't know. You don't really... Am I in the way still? Oh, great. I've like pivoted myself in the middle. Um, You don't really understand human nature unless you know why a child on a merry-go-round will wave at his parents every time the ride revolves and why the parent will always wave back. We want to be seen. We want to be known and we want to be loved. And that is what Jesus is offering more than anything else. So what about the elder son? It appears that the elder son was a bit like the Pharisee in Jesus' audience. The elder son had been doing the right thing with the wrong attitude. He was dutiful, but distant. He was like the Pharisees who complained about Jesus being with sinners and didn't have the love of God. His whole attitude was years of obedience to his father, years of grim duty and not loving service. He had become self-righteous. He believed he had to work in order to prove his righteousness. His whole attitude lacked sympathy. He refers to his brother as your son, not his brother. He doesn't go at any point to try and recover his brother when he's distant in this far country. He doesn't like, you know, there's no phone to pick up, but he's not, you know, yo, have you seen my brother on the streets? You know, where is he at? He's just chilling at home. He has no sympathy. It is apparent that both both brothers did not have the father's heart. They didn't know the father's heart. Does that sound familiar to you? The elder brother's self-sufficiency made him believe that he needed to work or he needed to prove his or earn his approval of his father. That his worth was wrapped up in, his, uh, in what he did. I definitely can relate. And then one of the Maverick City songs that I really love is called Move Your Heart. Um, and I would sing it to you if I was blessed to sing. In my mind, I am blessed. Okay. <laughs> just doesn't translate through this. And it says in the refrain, is it, I think it's the refrain, I said to Femi, I asked him, and it says, you know, I just want to move your heart. What can I do to move you, God? Like, what can I do? And he says, it's you. You move me. You move me in your imperfections. You move me in all that you are. There is nothing that you need to do to move the Father's heart. It's you. And as I was preparing for this talk, I just heard the words, you're enough. You are enough. There is nothing. And that for me really ministered to me because I've been a Christian for a long time. And I've always thought, but I do like stuff. I'm in church. I serve. I help. That's all. It's that side. It's just you as you're sat there doing you. You are enough. Every imperfection, every flaw, you are enough. The elder brother claimed to be righteous, but never lifted a finger, as I said, to bring his brother back home. 
He also judges his brother. And actually, just I'm just going to say side note as well, shade. We don't know what the brother did, but he says he spent his money on harlots and prostitutes. Where's he making up this story? He doesn't know. It doesn't say what his brother spent his money on when he was in the far country, but he's just digging a little bit deeper. And he judges him. And it's important for us to recognize that as a family, as the church, as we are today, that we belong to God and we belong to each other. We are in community and in fellowship with each other. This is our healing space. Another quote by William Nicholson says, self-sufficiency, if we show that slide, self-sufficiency is the enemy of salvation. If you are self-sufficient, you, you have no need of God. If you have no need of God, you do not seek him. If you do not seek him, you will not find him. So how do we move from self-sufficiency? How do we go from the far country back to the lavish heart? I've got three R's for you. I felt so good. I was like, Holy Spirit, you're really speaking to me. I've got three R's and they all make sense. Like this is powerful. Recognize. Verse 17. We've got to come to our senses. And I think there was a double coming to our senses with the prodigal son. He realized that chasing stuff doesn't lead to life. And the second realizing was that God wants us to be sons and not slaves. All we need to do is receive his love. We have to come to our senses and acknowledge God. It is in the far country that the prodigal son learned something about himself and about life and about his father. So maybe we need to realize that the things that we do often to self-medicate our souls are not what we need. When we're feeling tired or lonely or empty, our core need isn't shopping or Instagram or Netflix or food or drink or pleasure. Part of becoming a child of God is realizing and coming to our senses that the idols that we set up for ourselves don't meet our needs. There's obviously nothing wrong with those things, but we do have a tendency to make them the ultimate thing, which is at the core of idolatry. And when we come to church on a Sunday, this is a coming to our senses where we get to re-remember, if that's a word, what really matters in life. This is our coming to our senses. The second R is to repent. Verses 18 to 19 says that I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. At the beginning of the story of the prodigal son, the son says, give me. And that is give me a share of the property. By verse 19, he has realized that he has sinned and he's had a, a change of heart. He seeks restoration with his father. And we too have to just repent of our sin and ask for forgiveness and let go of self-sufficiency. My third R is return. Verse 20 says that so he got up and went to his father. And I love the uncomplicated nature of this. He had been in a pig pen. He was dirty. 
He was distant. He didn't decide, let me just freshen up. Let me get some clean clothes. Every part of the story is so important. We don't need to freshen up. We don't need to get on clean clothes. We don't need to get our lives together and our stuff in order before we come back. So he got up and he went. And that's all God's asking for us to do. He could have been filthy. He could have been smelly. He didn't have the right footwear. I don't think he had any footwear left. He was broke. He came in his current state, in his current situation. He took action and returned to his father. So in closing, I want to highlight the response of the father. In verse 20, it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The image coming up, this is a beautiful scene just to conjure up in your mind. The father is expectant. He said while he was still a far way off, the father wasn't sitting inside. He must have been looking daily, searching, seeking, waiting for the day that his son would return. He was filled with compassion and he ran. And again, it's important to note that in Middle Eastern society and in a Middle Eastern patriarch, they didn't run. Children ran, youth ran, men did not run, and a, men of, and a man of standing did not run. This would mean gathering up his skirt and bearing his legs and running with reckless abandon. That just shows me the love of God. It breaks stereotypes There is complete emotional abandon. There is no thinking of status or of reputation. He ran to his son. The father is lavishing his love on his undeserving son. And he kisses him before the confession. The son has conjured up and done this whole script of what he's going to say to his father. He doesn't even get to say it before his father kisses him and embraces him. That is the love of God. God restores his identity, his dignity, and his authority. His identity in putting the robe on him. His dignity by putting sandals on his feet. And his authority by giving him the ring. And this ring would be used to conduct business. So what his father is saying, you are back in my household. You are now my child and you have the authority and you have the power to conduct business on my behalf. What is God saying to us today? When we come back to him, he's given us the power and the authority to conduct business on his behalf. We are sons. God's love is unconditional. He doesn't call us to a code of behavior. He calls us to friendship, relationship, and to himself. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, but God demonstrates, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, please. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, not while we had fixed ourselves up, 
So I hope that you can um, just glean from this that God is unconditional. His love is unconditional. We move from self-sufficiency to belonging. And if I could call the band back up, please. As I said, when I was preparing this talk, I just felt the words come over me and over me and over me. You are enough. You are enough. You are enough. And as the band plays, I would like us all, if we could stand. I don't know how many of you have felt like you've been in the far country. You felt like you've been distant. You've been separated. You've been isolated from God. Well, he is standing, expectant, and waiting. He is calling, and he is drawing you back to himself. He loves you unconditionally. You don't need to fix yourself. You don't need to do anything. You just need to return to the Father. So I would encourage you that as the band plays, talk to God. Open your heart to him and receive that lavish love. He loves you. He loves you exactly as you are. He is mindful of you. He sees you. You can't hide from him. He chases you down. He seeks you out. He calls you. And I know that I am here today for at least somebody. That God is saying to you, you are enough. I don't care what you've been told. I don't care what lies have been spoken over you. You are enough. He loves you. And he sees you. He sees every imperfection. He sees every flaw. He sees every mistake. He sees you. And he loves you. Come back to him. <laughs>